This is Ed Mazur, chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was the Honorable Fritz Kage, assessor of Cook County. Fritz has been in office for a little over one year, and during that period, he has not been a shrinking violet. In his own words, he has brought fairness, ethics, and transparency to the Cook County Assessor's Office, focusing his vision on operational changes, technological upgrades, the elimination of favoritism, increased public release of all assessment modeling codes and data, an external audit by the International Association of Assessors' Offices, and the hope-for passage of a data modernization bill that passed the Illinois Senate last year did not pass in the House, but is supported by Governor Pritzker this year, and he hopes that it will pass. Assessor Kagi said, Fairness and equity are important to understanding the assessment process and practices in Chicago. He's using technology to demystify the process. The office has 236 employees. Last year, they held 200 outreach events, and they're looking to establish gold standards for assessing in the United States. Property tax rate simulator tool can now be researched on the Internet. We are at the point where property owners and the assessor's office are working together in various neighborhoods. He promises increased use of social media, a public visitor's log, so that the public can see who the assessor's office is meeting with each month. He says being assessor should be a boring job. It means that property owners are not paying more than they should. In this case, he says boring is much better than the alternative. No gifts or political donations have been allowed by Assessor Kagi. This is eliminating the perception of political preference in that office. Later this year, 2020, people will be able to file all of their property tax exemptions online. They are leaving the paper-driven bureaucracy to a technologically-driven bureaucracy. The office will be issuing the first annual report in a decade this year. Regular report cards will be forthcoming every year, the assessor promises. The office, he said, does not have it out for landlords. Simply put, some pay too little, some pay too much. He said that homeowners might see a decline in their taxes when they receive their new tax bills, whereas the commercial rates may very well be going up. They will be looking at and reassessing in the south suburban areas this year, and they'll need the cooperation of all jurisdictions to ensure fairness and equity in assessments. Ed, thank you, and uh, thanks for the shout-out to my dad. Um, I'm sure my dad's class in Byzantine politics helped you, equipped you for uh, all the the events you have here at the City Club. you know, I, I, I'd, uh, I'm honored to be here because the City Club is a really special institution in this city. Um, the City Club is what all of us make of it. So many people here, including so many of the familiar regulars here, um, have made it into a unique Chicago institution that's an indispensable part of the city's fabric. Um, and we are all... We all are the City Club, and I know we're going to take care of it and make it even stronger, Ed. Thank you. Um, and let's take a, a moment to, uh, to recognize some of the folks who are here. 
Um, first of all, uh, Congresswoman Robin Kelly, who has been um, engaged deeply on a lot of the things that we'll be talking about today, way before they were in the zeitgeist. She knew the experts, she knew the officials who've been grappling with these issues, and she taught me a lot. So I'm really glad to have you here, Congresswoman. We have Assistant Majority Leader Will Davis, um, and I wanted to salute you and recognize you because Will Davis, who comes from the South Suburbs, he recognizes how education funding and property tax reform are inextricably linked. Um, you've been a leader on school funding reform, and we're so honored to have you as sponsor of our bill, so we're gl glad to have you here. Uh, Alderman Michelle Smith, who's been a fearless leader on ethics issues and driving change in Chicago in your inimitable way, so we're re really glad that you're here. And I know Tony, um, Tony Preckwinkle, President Preckwinkle is coming, she's on the way, and uh, um, I wanted to salute her because she doesn't get enough credit for the incredibly strong fiscal management and general management she's provided to the county. We'll talk about a lot of things that we are speaking about here. I think she doesn't get enough credit. The county's budget is almost in balance. The pension funds are more than half funded. The outlook is great, and she deserves a lot of credit. Here she is, uh, President Tony Preckwinkle. So this is my uh, third appearance in as many years, and it's, it's unusual for someone in my position. Um, usually the assessor filling a room is not a thing in the rest of the country. Um, in, the re in other parts of the country, no one cares who the assessor is uh, or what they have to say. Um, and we've pledged to create the kind of boring assessor's office that they have elsewhere. And uh, Ed, when I get... When I stop getting asked to appear at the City Club, I'll take it to sign that we've reached that goal. Uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, last week, we were in the news with a signing ceremony. Uh, we were delighted to work with our legislators, like Assistant Majority Will Davis, the leadership of Illinois' House and Senate, and Governor Pritzker, to pass a law that makes the senior homeowner exemption renew automatically. This bill removes a burden from hundreds of thousands of seniors who were forced to endure a time-consuming annual process of telling us that they're still over 65 and not getting any younger. It's a well-known biological process, so we're making progress here. Um, but this was personal for me. Um, Ed, you mentioned my dad, um, and many of you here have heard me tell the story of my normally money-smart dad, who in the midst of his grief over my mom's passing in April 2018, forgot to file for his senior exemption, which meant he had to pay more in taxes than he should have. And this, uh, this issue affects many seniors like him who are often least able to afford the added expense um, State Representative Fred Crespo 
deserves special credit for his tireless work on this bill. Passing it required strong partnership on both sides of the aisle, back and forth amongst all four caucuses uh, of the legislature and our own administrative operations. We had to prove ourselves. Um, and together we've made government a little easier to navigate and access. And that's what fairness and equity look like to the average person. On this, I agree with Governor Pritzker. When he signed this bill, he said that it's important to streamline bureaucratic hurdles that prevent too many of our residents, especially seniors, from accessing the benefits that they deserve. Using technology to make a better experience for the average person is just the kind of common sense change we focused on this past year. It works in providing better service, and it works in demystifying the process. And when I spoke with you last February, we were just getting started. On day one, we put in place a groundbreaking ethics order. We hired a new executive team and created new rules and standards, all of which ensure fairness to the people that we serve, and we have been busy since then. Let's start with transparency. We made huge advancements here last year. We did it through expanded use of data, detailed reporting, a process audit by the worldwide authority on assessments, and approximately 200 outreach events all over the county. And with each township that we do, we issue 30 pages of data and community detail. For homeowners, our reports show how our work meets the IAAO, that's the International Association of Assessing Officers, standards for high-quality assessments. This was the first time that our office compared its work to the industry gold standard. We met those standards in most of the townships and improved everywhere. In places where more improvements needed, we know we need to upgrade both the quality and quantity of the data about buildings. And this reporting shows we've improved on the past and it helps homeowners see how their assessments measure up against their neighbors. This is ultimately how you know whether or not the whole system is fair. In addition, we put all of our residential data and models on GitLab, which is a publicly available coding platform that allows anyone to track the work of our data scientists in real time. We released this at Shy Hack Night, which is, Ed, sort of like the city club, but for the tech community. Um, and we're the only large assessment jurisdiction in our whole nation to provide this level of openness and accountability. It's one of the accomplishments I'm most proud of, and I salute our data science team for making it happen. Now, for commercial properties, we show our work and show our sources, laying out all of the key drivers that go into our assessments, rents, expenses, vacancy rates, price per square foot, and cap rates. This helps everyone in the market run the numbers and make decisions. We know that uncertainty to the market is like sand in the gears of commerce, so we've been speaking to countless real estate participants to give them details they need. Details they've never been given before. At the end of last year, we convened hundreds of market participants at our very first Market Analyst Day, and this is now going to be an annual event. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot and City of Chicago CFO Jenny Huang Bennett joined us to present tools, data, 
and information for building owners, commercial real estate analysts, and market underwriters who invest in the Chicago area. We even unveiled a property tax rate simulator tool, which allows anyone to see how assessments, rates, and levies impact property taxes. We got a terrific reception in the trade press, and know that this is helping people to run numbers on deals and projects right now as we speak. All of this is available on our website, which is especially helpful for folks from out of town who don't live and breathe this stuff every day. This level of cooperation between us and the city is unprecedented. It is a huge win for the Chicago area. I salute the mayor and her team for this vision. Transparency and cooperation are creating opportunity. Publicly available data means software developers can create applications that have a positive impact on real estate markets and on inclusive growth. It can institutionalize transparency, embedding it in government. We're really pleased that new enterprises in Chicago's property technology or prop tech community are taking advantage of the opportunities we've created. We focused on being accessible by going to where property owners are, the neighborhoods. We launched a countywide listening tour and held town hall style meetings so residents could ask direct questions of me and my staff. We've continued assessment appeals workshops and now respond to customer service issues on social media. We made a special effort to use graphics to help people better understand our complicated property tax system. And to further advance transparency, we launched a public visitor's log so people can see who the executive leadership of the office, including myself, are meeting with each month. We also created a form which allows anyone to request a meeting with the Assessor's Office executive leadership, and both are available on our website. We did all this and did our part for municipalities and our partners in the property tax system by getting the assessments and appeals processed on time. We think this level of transparency should be the standard for any public office. Some of it isn't particularly flashy or exciting, but uh, that's how it should be. When you're the assessor, you better be ready to be boring. And I worked in finance, so I've had lots of practice then. Running a boring office means property owners are not paying more than their fair share of taxes. Boring means not overburdening seniors with bureaucracy. And boring means showing your work. When it comes to government, boring is much better than the alternative. To that end, we've taken several steps which are necessary to achieve compliance with the Shackman Decree. We professionalized and expanded our HR work, conducted extensive training sessions, and rolled out new policies and procedures. It is a work in progress, and most importantly, the Shackman monitors have not found any instances of political hiring or favoritism since I took office a little bit more than a year ago. Thank you. Our robust ethics policy forbids, among other things, gifts and political donations by people who work for or practice before the office. We've anonymized to our analysts the identity of law firms handling commercial appeals to eliminate the perception of preferential treatment. 
In the course of a year, this team, this office, has become a shining example of fairness and accountability. So I'd like to take a moment to thank our staff. We have 236 people back at the county building. We're working alongside newly recruited respected professionals from other large assessment systems like LA and Philadelphia and Lake County. When we ask our staff why they do this work, the answer we hear most often is that I want to help people. And I hope you'll give me, uh, I hope you'll join me in giving our staff a hand. They are dedicated public servants. Please stand up, guys. Come on, stand up and be recognized. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Behind the scenes in 2019, we also set in motion plans for major technological upgrades. I'm really excited about these. You see, when we started last year, we were stunned to find an agency literally buried in paper. In 2020, this work will bear fruit. Starting next month, residential property owners will be able to file for all their property tax exemptions online and use a new and improved digital appeal filing system. And thank you, this is big, this is a big deal. And commercial property owners will be able to provide relevant information before the assessment process gets started, saving them time and money. This is a major step forward, moving us out of a paper-driven bureaucracy and toward a system that delivers a better experience for all property owners. By the way, that's about 1% of the appeals we got in just one year. So we'll go from this to this. And our newly redesigned website is the first step towards full implementation of an integrated countywide system from Tyler Technologies. We're rolling out a new call center system, which will improve service and efficiency. We did all of this thanks to our successful partnership with Cook County. The Board of Commissioners heard us and funded these vital improvements, while the Bureau of Technology has helped to put it all into place. So Tony, I wanted to thank you again for your help in making this happen. Wherever possible, we're replacing analog processes with digital ones. The analog ones just keep popping up somehow. Um, we're expanding our use of digital mapping programs and other graphic information service systems to meet the global industry standard of 80% digital desk review. And we're putting GPS-enabled tablets in the hands of our field staff. To reverse chronic understaffing, we're in the process of hiring 17 new positions and filling many vacancies. 80% of those new hires are in the data and valuation areas, which is our agency's core function. So as I've said, we've made a lot of changes. You'll soon be able to read all about it in our annual report, which is our first in a decade. Now, I'll be the first person to say that we have a lot of work ahead. Many operational issues remain. For instance, FOIA requests for building owners do need to be executed more swiftly. To address this, early this year we're launching GovQA, 
a state-of-the-art tool used for digital fulfillment of FOIA requests, will go from this to this. Finally, we've committed to the release of sales ratio studies. These are statistical measures of how accurate and fair assessments are. I believe it's not enough to promise to make our system more equitable. We should release regular report cards on that progress, and we will. So we're proud of this progress. Nowhere was that progress more apparent than in last year's reassessment of the north suburbs. Now, for those of you who don't know, we reassess one-third of the county each year so that the whole county is reassessed over a three-year period. When people ask us to delay our reforms, I remind them that there's a three-year uh, period baked into all of this. And this year, we reassess the northern suburbs. On average, changes in our overall residential assessments tracked increases in the housing market. But we materially reduced the regressivity of residential assessments, a well-known well Achilles heel of the system that we inherited. This means that modest homeowners aren't paying more than their fair share of taxes due to overassessment of their homes, and we're very proud of that result. For commercial properties, we took on the tough work of a major course correction. All of the work that we've talked about so far today culminated in this effort. As we examined the data from the 2016 Northern Suburban Reassessment, we saw some of the calculations used in these assessments were out of sync with industry standards, resulting in artificially low assessments for certain categories, like office buildings and apartments. Other commercial buildings, like industrial facilities and shopping centers, appear to be closer to the mark. By adhering, just by adhering to readily observable market prices in the northern suburbs, the mix of the property tax burden shifted. In the northern suburbs, commercial property owners, based on our assessments, would pay 44% of the total property taxes for these areas, up from 34% the previous year. This means the burden for homeowners dropped from 66% of all taxes to 56%. So that's how we left it after completing our own appeals process. We proudly handed off this painstaking work to the Board of Review on time in December. I want to make this next point especially clear. Neither I nor, the analysts or, nor our analysts approach this work with an end result in mind. Some critics have wrongly suggested that I have it out for landlords and that we're unfairly assessing commercial properties. But recent detailed analysis in Cranes showed that this claim is wrong. When looking at the top 50 commercial properties in the northern suburbs, in almost all cases, we got much closer to the market price than prior assessments. This is what fairness looks like. If some people are paying too little, other people are paying too much. I know there is concern when the treasurer issues tax bills next year, some northern suburban properties will see tax increases. But because some commercial, some commercial property assessments went up more than residential properties, homeowners could correspondingly see a decline in their taxes. Now, of course, there will be mistakes in any mass appraisal system. Correcting these is the main purpose of the appeals process. We're right on track. In a recent Chicago Tribune 
article discussing the North Suburban reassessments and their potential impact. CBRE's chairman, Spencer Levy, said Chicago remains a wonderful place to invest over the long term. I'm confident that our commitment to fairness and transparency contributes to that outlook. Accurate assessments mean less risk for investors, and that encourages a pro-growth mindset throughout the county. And when the overall assessed value of our county increases, tax rates come down for everyone. So with the northern suburbs behind us, we're now hard at work on reassessing the south. To ensure that we have the best possible information, we've increased our outreach in the south suburbs as we meet with local township assessors, elected officials, residents, and business owners to learn more about the changes that have occurred in their area over the last three years. A couple of important notes, first relating to our assessments and the second relating to property tax bills. First, the trends we saw in the north suburbs will not necessarily carry over into the south suburbs. The commercial and industrial base there faces different challenges. Housing stock is far more varied in terms of its characteristics, and many areas are still recovering from the financial crisis. The commercial incentives available through our office remain a very important part of South Suburban economic development, as well a data-driven assessment process. Second, levies on South Suburban properties, South Suburban properties continue to grow. Taxing districts have very big holes in their balance sheets, and absent outside aid, they use levies to plug the budget gaps. As you know, these levies are solely determined by taxing bodies like school districts and municipalities, not by us. But they are a force that we all need to be aware of and reckon with, especially since many communities' housing markets are still in the doldrums a decade after the global financial crisis. Many communities are in a state of economic emergency and profound despair, made worse by the Trump tax bill's drastic, tax, uh, uh, drastic cutback of tax deductibility. Get this, the bill's provisions are worsening the injury to the south suburbs because they can increase the after-tax cost of already sky-high property tax bills by more than 50%. Congresswoman Kelly, you've been on this from the get-go. Addressing this ongoing crisis will require leadership and cooperation at all levels of government. All of us in this state, in this room, need to come together to find ways to get these levels down. One such leader here is Assistant Majority Leader Will Davis, who I've pointed out before with us here today. He helped enact the school funding formula bill, which provides one path to delivering relief while investing in our children's education. Two-thirds of property taxes are for schools. If we can find a way to get more funding at the state for schools, that's a dollar-for-dollar -dollar reduction in levies. Assistant Majority Leader Will Davis understands this, and because of his work, he also immediately saw the importance of our own property tax reform efforts. You see, most of what we need to reform the assessment system rests in our own hands. For example, we can work out the models, the rules, transparency procedures, and building characteristics that we need to use ourselves. We can do that ourselves. 
But to get where our largest peers are, to get to the healthy and fair system that our people also deserve, just as other people in the rest of the country enjoy, we need to work with our partners in Springfield on the building blocks of a healthy assessment system. And that is better commercial data. To deliver fairness for all property owners, we're working with Leader Davis and many other legislators to pass the Data Modernization Bill, SB 1379. Here's what it does. The bill would have larger rent-earning properties, rent, expense, and vacancy information filed with the assessor. If that doesn't sound remarkable, that's because in most of the country it isn't remarkable. This is a common sense, best practice framework in place across the nation. In states with healthy markets, incidentally, where some folks loudly proclaim they might move to if we reform the system and make it more accurate. We need this data for a more fair and accurate commercial assessment process. Without it, we'll be mired in the past and miss out on best practices that are helping other metro areas thrive. Without it, assessors have to use third-party data to assess the county. Imagine if the IRS taxed income this way, based on a third party's estimate of your income. So this will slow down investment, prolong the uncertainty some developers feel as we move away from a broken system, and needlessly pile costs onto our market. Remember that this data would be secure, unlike our current paper-driven process. Under the proposed law, it would be confidential and not subject to FOIA, which lets real estate investors guard their proprietary information. Again, this is a common occurrence in other states. We would assess using appropriate averages for each neighborhood and building type. Having this data available would make our initial valuations much more accurate and cut down the need for costly, time-consuming appeals that serve nobody. It would make investment decisions less risky. It would allow us to better differentiate between different types of buildings and neighborhoods, which is so crucial to small business and maintaining our affordable housing stock. Not to mention quality neighborhood-level data on vacancy. It's why the bill has the support from Neighborhood Chambers of Commerce, uh, BMO Harris Bank, which is here today, uh, Brookfield Properties Retail Group, which owns Water Tower Place and other iconic properties around the United States, and the International Council of Shopping Centers. Dozens of other organizations support the bill, including school boards, trade unions, business groups, community leaders, including Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, the Cook County Board, and South Suburban Mayors and Managers. This bill could also eventually shrink the metastasizing caseload at the Property Tax Appeals Board. Every case before this body bears the risk that school districts, towns, and libraries will have to write a refund check. I was talking to someone from the South, Suburb, from the South Holland School District. He said his top problem is this, these cash outflows, because here's what happened. These unpredictable cash outflows can easily run into the millions of dollars taken right out of municipal and school budgets and, be, and have to be borne by other local taxpayers. This caseload is a growing, giant, unfunded, contingent liability. Better data, better assessments, and better evidence 
help to defend against this threat. And that's why the Illinois Association of School Boards and EdRed so strongly support this bill. Many legislators and supporters understand the importance of improving the integrity of our data. Representative Will Davis here with us today and former State Senator Toy Hutchinson also from the South Suburbs have led the way on this important property tax reform measure. Last year, the Senate passed the bill by a bipartisan supermajority. And since then, more co-sponsors have signed on in the House for a total of 44 and is growing. We're looking forward to getting the bill to the governor this spring. So yes, once passed, the bill will give our office and the public access to accurate, up-to-date, anonymized data needed for predictable assessments. And yes, it will also give market participations the predictability we all need to reduce uncertainty in the property tax system. But here's another big benefit that that should concern all of us. The bill will enshrine transparency and accountability into law for this and future administrations of the Cook County Assessor's Office so we never have to go back. Some folks have asked us to slow down our work, implement just a few changes each year, or hey, maybe make our work less accurate. Wouldn't that be helpful? This embrace of a failed status quo makes no sense. To us, that's assessment's original sin. Monsignor, I don't know if you agree with me or not on that. (laughs) Uh, First of all, the, the Illinois Property Tax Code instructs us to assess all property fairly and accurately based on market value and not to look the other way for the benefit of a select few at the expense of everyone else. Second, waiting to make the changes that our people have asked for would only prolong the unfairness of the past. By eliminating bias and approving and using improved data, we achieve a more equitable, fair system. We can no longer look the other way at bad practices. Even as voters said they'd had enough with this malignant neglect, the message hasn't fully gotten through to some. I agree with Governor Prisker's forceful comments on this issue. We have a pivotal opportunity to change these headlines and transform Chicago's reputation. And I'll go one step further. It's a necessary precondition to addressing the biggest problems holding us back. Corruption creates inevitable, intolerable inequity. And that costs us, not just in our reputation as a global city, but in a loss of investment everywhere in our region. Much has been made in the press of data that suggests that real estate investment in Chicago and Cook County has slowed. This pause on investment is framed without evidence as an effect of the work of my office and its embrace of fairness, ethics, and transparency, suggesting developers will abandon our city for elsewhere. But I think it's an effort to create short-term political wins at the expense of long-term economic gains. Our methods represent the best practices used elsewhere in the United States, in states like Florida and Minnesota, or in cities like Boston and Seattle, places that have a thriving real estate markets. Thanks to our focus on transparency, homeowners, investors, and building owners are better able than ever before to predict how properties will be assessed. Independent third-party data reported in the local press supports our work. No one has said 
that our overall approach is correct or faulty. And I understand some market participants, some of whom were used to the idiosyncrasies of Cook County's property, property tax system, are in an adjustment period, but it makes no sense to say that an opaque, unaccountable, idiosyncratic assessment system generates more certainty than a transparent, predictable one. If we want to avoid the economic costs of corruption, we have to, be, to demand a more transparent view of government. We should all be working on the same set of standards, reading from the same book, getting data from the same page. In her remarks at our analyst day, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot made it clear that she and I stand together on this. We are, quote, working to usher in a new era of trust between the people of Chicago and Cook County and the government officials who serve them, close quote. This trust is crucial for a pro-growth environment that promotes investment. Without a unified approach, without fixing all aspects of the property tax system, no other reforms will have a chance to work. Without the public's ability to look under the hood of the operations of all government agencies, bad actors will continue to be tempted by the siren song of corruption. I know firsthand that helping to pass legislation and changing the official policies of an office is a heavy lift, but a heavy lift is what is needed by all good stewards of government if we are to institutionalize transparency and truly break from the past. When our great strengths as a global city are obscured by a cloud of suspicion about corruption and cronyism, we all pay the price. The only way to de-risk the system is through transparency in our policy and in our politics. And a hopeful vision of our future is emerging. But to build the Chicago that works for its residents and commands the international reputation it deserves, we must prioritize a more transparent system of governance. There's no better time for city, county, and state leaders to achieve these goals, and they are more urgent than ever. Ed, we're almost done. When I spoke here <laughs> in 2018, I laid out a vision for an assessor's office that was fair, ethical, and transparent. And when I stood at this podium in 2019, I told you how we'd begin to fulfill that promise. I've come back here again this year because I have this crazy idea, as a government official, you should deliver on your promises or explain why you couldn't. I believe we're delivering on the promises I made to folks here in Cook County. If you'll have me back, Again, and I'll promise I'll be shorter, <laughs> I'll look forward to telling you more next year. Thank you. There you go. Thank you, Fritz. Before we get to the questions, President Preckwinkle wants to say a few words. President Preckwinkle. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. I want to begin by apologizing for my tardiness. I'd hoped to be here to introduce the assessor, uh, but we had a meeting earlier with uh, the MacArthur Foundation, which has been very generous in its funding of our criminal justice reform efforts, and you want to be able to uh, meet with your funders and uh, not tell them, not look at your watch all the time. So, um, so I'm very grateful for the chance to be here, and I, I wanted to say that I'm grateful to the assessor for his emphasis on equity and transparency and accountability in our property and taxation system. Uh, since I came into office, we've invested a lot of money in both staff for the stakeholders in this arena, but also uh, even more in technology. And uh, we hope that those efforts, those investments will pay off in a fairer assessment system. I'm grateful to the assessor for his good work. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Tony. Yeah, it's okay. I'm good. 
I wear my heart on my sleeve. Okay, so we have a number of questions. Uh, we'll try to answer as many as we can. This is from Barrett Peterson, the mayor of Franklin Park. Given the large number of appeals rejections based on technical deficiencies, will you reopen the previous year to allow correction of those deficiencies, especially for mom and pop commercial businesses in Franklin Park? All right. Um, thanks for the question, Barrett. Uh, you know, when we looked at the results, so we put into place new rules this year to uh, make the process more rigorous. For example, we said that when people submit appraisals to us, they have to be done by uh, actual appraisers, um, people who are following the USPAP standards, which were passed by Congress. There are some people who sent out appraisals um, that are not actual USPAP appraisals, and so that was one of the rules uh, that we put into place. And there were other rules. However, you know, when we look back in some of the rules, we saw that some of our analysts were rejecting things that uh, were probably uh, you know, too, too, techni too technical, um, and it would have been more helpful if we had been able to uh, accept the data that folks and, and made sure that people were materially, substantially complying with the rules. So we have um, changed the rules this year. We'll be announcing them to a practitioner's event soon. We hope that will make the process work a little bit better. Um, so there's always room for improvement. Uh, we can't reopen uh, an assessment from a previous period. Uh, if people aren't satisfied with the results they get from us, they can always appeal to the Board of Review and appeal subsequently if there's been a major error to our office. Okay, thank you. Um, this is from uh, John Mangle. John, where are you? Back there. John, become a member of the City Club. Be the best 50 bucks you've ever spent. Okay. Assessor, can you comment on your valuation methodology? Specifically, it has been said that your office removes the real estate tax expense slash load from the NOI calculation. Is that true? And if it is, why do you use that method? Um, well, I, we, uh, in our valuations of property, uh, taxes are a cost, just like any other cost. We take into account taxes in a as a cost of, of doing business. The hard part is that um, rates in Cook County are not fixed. In other parts of the country, you can use the unloading mechanism if you know in advance what the rate is. We do not know in advance what the rate is. If the, so if we have a levy and say the assessment level in an area grows 50%, the rate will decline. So a loading methodology that uses an old rate will perpetually, systematically undervalue all properties if the old rate is used. What we do do is we try to take into account what the new... Uh, tax experience will be like for, a, for a, a property that we're assessing. So there's a feedback mechanism, which is probably one of the hardest parts of valuation. This is why we released our tax simulation tool, tax rate simulation tool this year to help people with this too. We'll be using it ourselves in our own work. Um, in, this, in the uh, analysis that Cranes did this year, they noticed that a lot of our Evaluations had some conservatism built into it. That's, that's us trying to take into account the fact that 
properties whose assessments grew probably also will be paying a larger share of the levy and so their taxes will rise. But we think it's better to model that way than to model in a way that we know is systematically wrong and unfair, which is loading um, the valuation with an old rate that is out of date. Because that will condemn us to perpetually undervalue commercial properties. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of questions here. And they're not all, you know, tough ones. Here's one little pat on the back. It's from Judy Graff. Judy, where are you? Back there. Okay. Making you the same offer I made to the other gentleman. Become a member of the City Club. All senior citizens, thank you for your recent announcement that we will no longer have to file annual senior homeowner exemption forms. Great decision. So there you go. A little pat on the back. Well, thank you. And, and by the way, it's not my decision. Thank you. I really appreciate the applause. Thanks for the, uh, the kudos. But actually, it wasn't our decision. Um, we, what we did is when we, uh, when we were in our transition, during my campaign we talked about this, and then uh, during our transition we realized that, uh, hey, for this to work we have to have mandated interchanges uh, between us, between our office and the uh, people who have information like the Social Security Administration, which has a death record, Illinois Department of Public Health, which has death, death records, Cook County Reporter of Deeds, which has moving records. For this to work, we needed to have that data. And um, House leadership had been skeptical of our ability to do this before. But we worked with Representative Crespo, with House leadership, with their staff, to show that, hey, we can do this. We want to show you that we can do this. And they asked hard questions of us. We worked them out. And so give a hand to uh, House leadership, to Senate leadership, to all the legislators, and the persistence of the sponsors to make this happen. We were there to help, but they were the ones that, that actually enacted it. Okay, good. From Stella Black, sitting over here, City Club member. When people take exemptions they are not supposed to, why is the period to recoup the money such a limited amount of time? Stella, that's a good question, and I have to admit I don't know the answer. Um, so I would like to get back, and we'll tell you, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll make a social media posting for anyone else who, who wants to see. You know, uh, when people take exemptions they're not supposed to, they, they steal from all of us. If, if someone is getting... Uh, an, an extra exemption, that reduces their share of the pie, which no one wants to eat. And that's the pie that feeds our, uh, our taxing bodies, it feeds our kids uh, in school, feeds our libraries, feeds our local governments. And when some people cheat, it comes at everyone else's expense. So it's part of our job to make sure that uh, folks are not taking exemptions that they're not allowed to have. And we, you know, we're, we're, there are lots of great data tools out there um, that will help us to do a better and better job of this. By the way, you know what your dad would have said if someone in the seminar had asked that question? That's a real good question, Ed. Why don't you research it and report back <laughs> next week? I could learn from that, man. Absolutely. Okay, this is from Kevin Dixler with the law offices of Kevin Dixler. Have or will any other floodplain adjustments be considered for the north side of the city of Chicago, given action taken in New Trier. Some neighborhoods on the north side have experienced 
significant flooding in the past? Uh, thanks for your question. Um, flooding is an enormous problem everywhere, um, all over the county. Um, and what our data scientists did during this year is they got a hold of new uh, flooding maps that came from FEMA that were updated for uh, the new uh, floodplains experience that we have here in the Midwest. In, 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 in Cook County, in the Chicago area, there are many different rivers that flood, and we know hydrologically there are lots of things that are happening that are not good, that are changing people's experience. I, I met someone who lives in East Garfield Park who was telling me about a home that he'd bought in Bellwood that flooded that completely wiped him out. And he had to hand in the keys to his home because he couldn't resell it for anything near what he paid for. Hundreds of thousands of people are subject to this. If you live in a floodplain that's covered by these FEMA maps, you have to get special flood insurance that's really expensive um, in order to get a, a federally guaranteed loan by uh, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Now, we got these maps midway through the year, and we'd already started assessing some areas that had floodplains, so we had to make a judgment call. Well, this is clear. We, looking at the data, it showed that once we took into account FEMA maps, we saw, based on market behavior, people paid less for homes in, in, um, in floodplains. And I know, Barrett, you have lots of folks who live in your town who are right on those floodplains. I go to Gene and Jude's all the time, and it's been closed several times because of flooding. I know other people who, who have that same experience. Um, so we had to make a judgment call, and we said, you know, this is this will do us a better. We'll do better in assessing if we take into account floodplains. We had to look back to make an adjustment to those areas that we'd already assessed without it. And so it looks like when we were adjusting the thousand or so homes in New Trier that had it, that we were doing them a favor. We weren't. We were trying to do a better job for everyone. And, we have, and when we do something that's better for everyone, we have to do it for everyone. We can't single out people because we might think they don't deserve it. Um, so that's, that's, why, uh, that's why we did it. And we'll, we'll continue to go, go, go do that going forward. As Congresswoman Kelly knows, there are many communities that are on the Calumet River that suffer from flooding. And these are not rich communities. These are communities that are right at ground zero for this crisis that I was talking about in the south suburbs. And this is yet another thing that affects them, so we absolutely will take into account. Okay, thank you. Speaking of the south suburbs, we've got a lot of people here from the south suburbs. A couple of questions. We've got Billy Page over here, and we've got Doris Davenport with Train, Inc. Doris, where are you? Okay. Their questions are, foreclosures in the south suburban communities, high tax rates. Will you take into consideration these adverse impacts on the upcoming triennial south suburban residential properties? And um, Billy Page says she hears a lot about the North Shore, but she's south. Mm -hmm. What are you going to be doing for the south suburban areas? Um, so uh, to address the first question, and it relates to the second uh, we absolutely do take into account the effect of foreclosures. Now, some, in some parts of the United States and in the past in our office, people have said that you shouldn't use foreclosure transactions as a comp because it's not an arm's length transaction. That may or may not be true, but it is 100% true that 
The presence of foreclosures in a community depresses home values. We know this. And in a lot of south suburban communities, more than half of the homes are underwater. That means that uh, the mortgage, the debt on a home is bigger than what they could sell for in the market today. Um, and that's what triggers foreclosure activity. And um, as many of us know, there are many homeowners who are feeling such despair that they've just stopped paying property taxes and are just trying to stay there the last couple of years or months um, before they're forced to go. Um, so th these are things that we need to take into account um, in our work. We absolutely will do that. Um, and that's a, big, that's a big factor in the south suburbs, as are these enormous tax rates. I invite any of you, once you're done today, go and take a look at, an, at a random home of your choosing in Harvey or other communities around there. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Um, you'll see that the effective tax rate on homes, so if you just look at what tax they're paying now and divide it by their market value, it's well north of 5%. Sometimes it's close to 10% just for being there. And, and, and folks there, they, they, you know, they, 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 this is their entire net worth. They were doing the right thing. They are buying into the American dream. And through no fault of their own, they've been completely been smashed by this. And I wish I could say that reforming our assessment system will solve that. It can't. Assessments are one half of this problem. Assessments make sure that whatever levy is present in a community is felt equally according to the market value of your properties without bias, without doing favors for one at the expense of others. That's what we can do. But when the levies are so enormous and property values are so low, that is, a, that is the trap that we're in and I can't solve that. This is, what, this is what I was talking about with how we need to come together as leaders to solve this problem. Will, uh, uh, Representative Davis, you've been a leader because you recognize that part of the solution here comes from getting more school funding from the state. That's probably the best uh, lever we have to reduce those levies because a dollar that is contributed by the state is one dollar less that has to be levied for schools. And we shouldn't let the federal government off the hook here. Title I dollars are also a really important way that more Title I dollars going to our kids from the federal government is a dollar less for our levies. It would mean a huge difference to the south suburbs and many other communities suffering throughout the United States. And we need to hold people's feet to the fire on this one. Okay, we have time for two more questions, and then we'll have our drawing. Uh, this is from Mike Reschke with the Prime Group. Mike, where are you? Okay, thank you. About 50% or more of the global investors and lenders have placed Chicago on the no list because of the fear of rising taxes. How can you dispel these fears in the new f near future to bring back investment? Um, well, first of all, I think it's interesting that in the second half of this year, we're already turning a corner on that. I think uh, the post office leased up 2 million square feet of space just in the second half of this year. That's a couple percentage points of total supply in Chicago, just in that one building. And when people lease up space, they're the ones who hold the bag on taxes. You know, when, when you sign a net lease, you're the bag holder. And so we are seeing record, robust leasing activity taking place 
right now. So these are the people who, they, are, they have enough information to run the numbers, and they're making decisions, and that's great. That fills our buildings with tenants, and it causes a great amount of work for uh, all our tradesmen who, who do the tenant improvements to fill out those spaces, and it's, it's terrific. Um, and I think we've seen a real uptick in transactions happening, especially from out-of-town investors. Really serious, major, highly respected out-of-town investors have picked up their activity in Chicago in the second half of this year. Now, it's true that there are some people who are still you know, hearing, some people are, are, you know, they see the high levies here, and they're just, that's a showstopper for them. Um, I, I know several major investors based right here in Chicago that they see high levies, they see the pension deficits, and it's just a showstopper for them. But at some point, people, if they uh, have enough information, they can price these factors into their decisions, and this is what we're trying to, to help them do. Um, I'm very optimistic that... Uh, we're going to continue to see progress here. Chicago real estate is really a compelling proposition if you compare it to our peers in the rest of the U.S. Yields are high uh, compared to other places you can go. The outlook is a lot better than people give it credit for. I think people should go check out on our website the presentation given by Jenny Huang Bennett showing really amazing progress in getting funded to full actuarial funding of the pension deficit. I think the terrific story of What's going on in Cook County, where we're almost at a balanced budget, is, is something that people, people need to realize. I mean, our property taxes are, right, right. well, we're, we're the, the, and without a levy growing, by the way, too. So um, there's a lot of good news out there that I think more and more people are able to weigh. Now, when people just go by articles that they've read, it's hard to weigh these factors. And I think folks who are politically opposed to what we're doing, um, should not try to spin the news in such a way that might help them politically, but hurts our market. I think there is a lot of that going on there, and we need to be uh, conscious of the fact that some people are doing that. But um, I, I'm, I'm a super optimist. You know, if you look in Texas, there are jurisdictions in Texas that have property taxes as a percent of percentage of rents that are up there with Chicago, and yet people are investing there, and the same thing can happen here. Okay, last question. From City Club member Greg Mack. Greg, where are you? There he is back there. Crane's Chicago business on January 7th cited several examples of your reassessments. Um, for example, TGM North Shore purchase price 118 mil, assessed value 92 mil. North Lake Data Center purchase 315 mil, assessed value 55 mil. Why was this? Um, I don't know the specifics of those cases. In the case of a data center, um, I think you have to remember that data center leases, uh, sometimes the leases that were signed in the past don't reflect the economics that are in place today. When we're trying to assess buildings, we try to uh, value the uh, economics of the leases that one could lease up for today. I, I don't know the specifics of that particular building, um, but that's, that is a relevant consideration. Um, I think you know, when we're doing our assessments, we always assess based on the evidence that uh, we have. 
Um, we go based on the average levels of dollars per square foot, cap rates, um, other factors like occupancy for all buildings like it in a community. Sometimes uh, buildings may be purchased for leases in place that uh, could not be replicated uh, based on the earning power that buildings like it have today. But I, I don't know the specifics of those cases. Um, as I mentioned, we're also trying to take into account the fact that taxes for some of these buildings may be higher because their assessments are higher. Um, and that's not yet reflected in, these building, in the taxes that these buildings pay. That will only be true next year. So we're, we try to take account of that factor, but it's a tricky factor to handle. Thank you. Okay, folks, let's give our assessor a big round of applause.